Hey everyone, I know you've heard me speak about microdosing and how much I love it. And I'm talking about microdosing THC. I love it. And that's why I love our sponsor, microdose.com. Microdose gummies are incredible. They deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And when I mean just the right amount of good, I mean in so many situations, anxiety, sleep, focus, pain, relaxation. There are so many different strains and they're really helpful. And I have recommended microdose.com to so many people. And you know what they say to me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't be afraid of microdosing. Go to microdose.com and you'll learn all about microdosing THC. These gummies feel amazing. They taste amazing. I have used them to get me into the zone I need to write. I've used them at night after a stressful day or a stressful show to relax. I have also said to family members, please take a gummy right now. And they've said, oh, good idea. So check it out. Check it out because they're fantastic. And I'm not like a big weed person. I mean, I used to be. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy weed every now and then, but I love, I love these gummies and I take them with me everywhere. So check it out. Don't be afraid. They're all natural. They're fantastic. And you deserve it. So what are you going to do? You're going to do something that is fantastic. You're going to get 30% off your first order. 30% off. That's a lot. Plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Use promo code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D. It's available nationwide. They deliver it to your door. That is microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold for 30% off and free shipping. Do it. Go to microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold. You deserve it. You deserve it. And you know what else? You're welcome. I don't tell. I don't say who the um, guest is. So, okay. welcome to Kill Me Now. This is a very special episode because I'm still in Los Angeles. I don't have Hennessy is not here. Hennessy's my co-host. She's not here. You can talk. And uh, I mean, he's not here. He is a pre-op tranny, and I always mess it up and say he. I mean, I always say she when I really mm-hmm. mean he. And uh, so, welcome. He was a guest on my podcast. Oh, that's right. Yes. Did you Love him. screw it up? Love him. Uh, I did when I posted the description right. of the episode, and I felt terrible, but Don't I think feel he terrible. understands. Oh, he does. Yeah. Um, so I am here with the incredible, the talented, the let smart. Ease, let me ease my pants off. Okay. Ow. Ow. I haven't had anything in there in a while. Ow. All right. And um, he's 
an all-around person, like a human being. And we don't find that in, in the comedy world. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Gilmartin. Yay! Woo! Welcome to Kill Me Now, Paul. I'm so excited to be so, here, Judy. Ki- now, Paul, as you know, I don't know if you know, but Kill Me Now, I... I um, I basically have no radical acceptance of any sort of things that happen in life. So my podcast is basically about all the things that piss you off. So I I, re, I just actually had a kill me now moment when, you know, today's my son's 15th birthday and he's at sleepaway camp and we all, I've never not talked to my son on his birthday. So I sent in the money for the pizza party and I just called because he didn't call me this afternoon. And they told me he was going to call me. And he, they went out. Like the whole bunk went out for dinner and a movie. And I'm like, but it's his birthday. And they're like, oh, sorry. No, not oh, sorry. I made these arrangements. So then I said, can he call me tonight when he gets back? Well, that's 1030. So what? I'm a comic. He's up till two in the morning with me. <laughs> So I didn't get to say happy birthday to my baby. That's got to kill you. I know, right? Yeah. He's Thank your you. boy. I know. He's your boy. He's your baby. It doesn't matter how old he is. He's I know. still your baby. He's still, and even though he's 6'5", he's still a baby. Does everybody ask him if he plays basketball? Well, he does. And yes. Yeah. But everyone asked me if I played basketball. And did you? In seventh grade, um, Wayne Carrick who was our gym teacher. Now, granted, I was I must I was six feet in eighth grade, so I must have been about five nine at this point. He tells me I'm too tall for the team and it wouldn't be fair to the other players. <laughs> now he couldn't say, you know, you're uncoordinated, which I wasn't, or that he was anti Semitic. There were a lot of anti Semitic people in our town. But no, he says I'm too tall. And it wouldn't be fair. And I ended up just being a band nerd. I was in the marching band. But my kids are really athletic, and I took them out to play basketball all the time. But I have no skills. I love tennis. The nice thing about you being in the marching band is everyone could clearly see your head and your instrument. Right. And what happened was I wanted to be the drum major. Like, that was my life goal at the time. And I think, well, one, this will be good for your podcast, but... So I, I to, now to audition for to be the drum major, right? Mm-hmm. You had to conduct the Star Spangled Banner like in front of the principal and the superintendent and, the, you know, and people auditioned. And I was perfect because I was so tall. So I was 6'2 or 6'3. I shrunk. And uh and I ended up majoring in music. I mean, I was a musician. I play. I was first chair clarinet, whatever. It was stupid. Anyway, but I get up. Okay, everyone's in the back of the room. I lift my baton. Now you know when there's. Did you ever? Do you ever play in a band or anything or in a cor- uh, I an did orchestra? Just garage, garage bands. Oh. But not- so when when you're in a in a band, an orchestra, you lift the baton. That means instruments up, and then you do this little thing with your hands where it's like <gasps> and then once you hit the downbeat is when you begin mm-hmm. so i lift up my hands i go for the up and the one of the drummers yells sasquatch really loud <laughs> i'm glad that's funny for you that w- it's not funny i hate you 
And then I Tragedy had to. Tragedy plus time, Judy. And then I, so I was so humiliated, like, and, but the problem, it's like I had to conduct the thing after that. After that, that is, you must have been out of your body at that point. It, it was like, I had been humiliated so much my entire childhood, and I was just like, here I am in the band room, right? The place that's supposed to be, be safe. Be my for- safe haven. And Bobby Kamenecki. <laughs> and then Rosemary Jambrowski gets to be drum major. I love that the names of people <laughs> in childhood stories are always so, a, a name you've never heard of before. Right. Why, and, why is that? It's never like Bob Miller. Right. It's, no, no. Yeah, because someone named like John Doe isn't an asshole. Right? He's dead. How could he be an asshole? I know. Is John Doe dead? Isn't that what they always call a body that doesn't have an identity? Oh, yeah, John that's Doe. true. Yeah. Jane Doe and John Doe. Yeah. Why would they pick Jane Doe? I mean, why does she have to be like an appendage of him? And why wouldn't it be Jane Doe and Tarzan Doe? Yeah. Exactly. Fuck. Um, now, uh, Paul. Judy. <laughs> you went to IU and my son goes to IU. Loved my experience at IU. You did. He oh, loves it's it. such a beautiful campus. That it's place is. And they have a great club there. The comedy club there. Oh, it's. it's That's one of the best clubs in, really in the is. country. It really is. It's and, run well. The audiences are smart. Yeah. It's. I mean, I was there and I thought they're going to hate me because I'm a Jew and I'm a dyke and I'm a Jew and a dyke and a Jew. And they didn't and a Democrat and they didn't. No, it's a college town. I know. You go five minutes outside of oh, it. Then I'd be shot. And you would be shot. Thank you. You would be shot. So you were pre-med and I then was. you switched to theater to theater. That was a big that was a fun phone call. home. So can, can we redo that phone call? Who answered the phone? I don't remember, but my parents had always told me, uh, do what you love. Right. And chances are you'll do it well and the money will take care of it. Right. And uh, so they're not Jewish. (laughs) Okay, go. And they said, the only thing we ask you to not go into is advertising. Why? They knew somebody who was in advertising that was miserable. And I have to say, the little bit of, uh, I, I wrote marketing copy for the right. WB Network when right, it first right. launched, and uh, I now know uh, what they mean. Even though I work with great people, it's still, you're, it's just this game that uh, you are basically writing things, uh, a style that was should have been gone 20 years ago, but advertising is they will not try something new um like just now on advertising they're using the phrase the bomb right that's it in a nutshell um so i i was pre-med i was getting ready to take the mcats which are the uh yep uh exams and did you have really good grades i did i was on dean's list every every semester wow i I buckled down because i was a shitty student in high school um can you tell my son to do that all right go ahead (laughs) and they had a stand-up competition at the uh, campus, and right. I thought, I want to enter that, right. but I'm so afraid of being on stage. Right. I thought, I'll take an acting class. That right. get me used to it, and I fell in love with acting, and I just had this epiphany one day where I was like, what if I'm 35 years old and I get cancer? Will I look back on my life and say, 
I feel like I lived it to my fullest. Right. And I said, no, I will feel like I wasted something that is inside me that wants to be more creative. Right. And so I said, fuck it. And I changed my major to uh, theater. I tried to make my living as a as an actor when I got out of college, but right. it's really hard, especially when you're not a good actor. Did you do it in Chicago where you grew I up? I did. I did a All little right. bit, a little play here and there. Right. Um, I studied at the Second City Training Program. Right. I right. really wanted to be in, invited to join uh, the troupe. I was not. And so it was like, and even though my dream as a kid from like 10 to 12 around 10 or 12 years old was to be a TV host and a comic. I was right. so afraid of being on stage by myself. Wow. But I finally had no other options. Right. And so um, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, nothing else worked out. And so right. I started doing stand-up. And within a year of doing uh, open mics, I was able to quit my day job. Because, you know, this was 1987, 88. Right. You didn't have to be good. There were so many right. comedy clubs, um, and you got so much stage time that you couldn't help but— Yeah, improve. we did get a lot of stage time in the beginning. I, I actually started stand-up on a dare, too. Well, you didn't do it on a dare. You dared yourself. But someone—my secret Santa dared me to do it. I didn't know who it was at the time. But anyway, and that's how I started doing it. But it's interesting about the—when you turned 35, mm-hmm. like, am I—and I feel like I do that— all the time, but I add ten years. Like, not like I'm. Um, what's his name? Who Who's the one? Um, Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Who's like? Who would you like to meet? I'd like to meet myself. And remember, he said that. No, I. I don't. Oh, he's such a fucking egomaniac. Did he he have said, his shirt off when he "Who said was it? your hero or something?" Or no, and it was at it when he was accepting an Academy Award or something, and he said, "You know, I like. You know, who's who's your." Who would you like to meet or something? And he said, uh, yeah, I'd like to meet myself. And Ted. shut the fuck up. Anyway. So, um, but I love being on stage by myself. It's nice because you're, uh, it's, I always tell people it's, depending on the night, mm-hmm. it's the greatest job in the world or the worst job in the world. Right. It's true. Now, you grew up and you loved Johnny Carson. I did. How'd you know that? I do a lot of research. That's a shitload of research. I know. That's what I do. I love. I love people. I like. I have to know what makes them tick. You love. You love. Uh, you love Johnny. Um, you love hockey. I do. Uh huh. And you're a woodworker. Yes. My yeah, God. baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So, what about Johnny? Did you love? I loved how he treated the camera as if it was a person. Right. Um, And when I started doing dinner in a movie, um, I had never really had much on camera, actually no on camera experience aside from doing stand up, which is completely different. Right, right. And I stole uh, from him some of the ways that he would look at the camera where you knew what he was saying without him having to say right, right, right. anything. Right. Um, because my my co-host and I, the reason they cast us together is we were like oil and, and water. Was that Annabelle? Annabelle. And I couldn't see that right. for a while. And then I realized instead of fighting it and being frustrated that I should use it. And so I started treating the camera as if it was a third character, third person. Right. There. And I think that's when the show started to take on its, its but she, did she do it as long as you did? No. 16. She, you did 16 years. 16 years. She did seven. Right. Yeah. 
Um, Why do you think you were like oil and water? I mean, you could paint it really broadly and say she's from the coast and I'm from a flyover state. Right. Um, That's probably the most general way to say it. Um, I would have said that she was pretentious and she would have said that I was naive. And the truth is probably somewhere right, in the somewhere middle. in between. And also, both of us, I think, were, were living with undiagnosed depression. Right. And I was very insecure. Um, I worried so much about what other people were going to think. Right, I took, right, I took right. myself too seriously. I could right. be mean to her, but I couldn't see that I was being mean. Right. And I think she couldn't see that she was being a certain way to me. But we've we've since uh, patched things up. I had her as a guest on my podcast. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So you, yeah. like, so, who did the who did the patch up call? Yes. Um... It just kind of slowly, by the time she right. left the show, we had we had become um, uh, civil uh, right. towards each other, and, and now uh, we feel. Don't you have honest. like a bond? Uh, we yes, yes, we do. It's so, so much easier to look back on things and to to have a perspective about it than when you're. When you're in it, because right. you think oh, this please. is life or death. Right. It was a cooking show where we showed the Breakfast Club right. and made chicken. Right. But at the time, it was like, oh, my life depends on right. of this course. moment. This is the moment. So wait, did, now who took her place? Uh, Lisa Cushell. Uh, she's, her, her name is now Lisa Arch. And uh, we became really good friends. She was there for four years. And then Janet Varney uh, did the last, what would it be, seven years? Something like that. Why do you think they kept getting replaced and you didn't? I don't know. Um, Probably. Because you have a penis. uh, Yeah. Really? Honestly. I think that has, I definitely think that has something to do with it. So were they younger? Did they come in younger? The yes. women, yeah. The, the oh, person who, who would come in was uh, younger believe, than the previous. Younger. Yeah, and uh, another thing that had to do with it was, uh, you know, it would be a regime change, and right. people always want to put their stamp on. Oh, things. I know. But they were all great. They all brought something different right. to it. Uh, so, it do you was, cook now? I actually, a Blue Apron started sponsoring uh, our. They did our show, and so I've been. Cooking their stuff, but other than that, I don't cook. All at right, all. can we just talk about Blue Apron for one second? It's great. It's really great, but it doesn't take fifteen fucking minutes to prepare. Okay, Ooh. they lie about preparation time. No, they say the prep time is like ten minutes, and then the cooking time is like no. twenty minutes. That's what it says on the card. Right, and the prep time is always like uh, you know I'm chopping, I'm doing this shit, I'm you know. Crushing the garlic. I'm telling you, it think, does not take. I think you really are uncoordinated because I do it in 10 minutes. What do you think of that? I think you're a fucking asshole. Okay. <laughs> um, you how, may. What? How have our paths never really crossed? In, but I've now? always known who you are. I've always known who you are. I, I don't know. Wait. My no. wife and I were laughing about your uh, spit curls. Oh, it's God, Judy. please. Are it's you... Judy's show. I know. But we never really. Did we ever work together, like in Montreal? No, not that I remember. And did you ever spend a lot of time in New York City? No, that's probably that's why. why. Yeah. And then you were out here. You moved from, you went Chicago, Bloomington, Indiana, Chicago, and then L.A. My God, you do your research. I do my research, oh yeah. Um, and you never wanted to go to New York? Don't you think no. you would have—you're so mental. Don't you think you would have been—like, every you would have 
fit in better you know in I New York? I think I was tired of winters, honestly. Yeah. And, and I knew there was more TV opportunities. Um, cause I, in L.A., yeah. yeah. And, and I, you, I thought I really wanted to do sitcoms, and then I started auditioning for sitcoms, and I realized, A, um, any acting ability I might have is not meant for a sitcom. A sitcom. And I would just have a knot in my stomach. I hated most of it because I thought it was so phony, and right. it was all about the joke. There was never any oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. truth to right. the, the moments. And um, and so I think I wasn't very good at hiding my disgust. Right. Um, and I've realized that I do like hosting, but only if I can be myself. Right. And, and you, so you met your wife doing stand up. Yeah. Where? Um, I had known who she was because I'd seen her do stand up before I ever did stand up. And so when our paths crossed at the Comedy Womb in uh, Chicago, Comedy Womb. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I asked her out on a date. Actually, I got her number from a mutual friend, and I called her, and uh, that was. Uh, December 13th, 1987. And you hate the winter, but yet something great happened in the wintertime. That's true. That's true. Also, a lot of shitty things happen in the winter. So, is she still doing stand-up? No, she's a writer. Okay. She's a writer. She always hated doing stand-up, but she knew it was a vehicle to, to, to write. Yeah, she's, See, I there were a lot of people that used it as a vehicle for something else, but yeah. I always just wanted to be a stand-up. It's such a great art form. Isn't it's, it? There's nothing more lean and more pure than stand-up. Right. So when I started doing sitcom shit, I was like, because that's all I ever wanted. And then I started doing it, and I'm like, all I want to do is run out and do a set. Yeah. Like I was on Margaret's show, and I used to constantly run out at night. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have to do, I, like I had to do it for my mental health. Yeah. The, fr- the freedom is so right. um, amazing. In fact, speaking of Bloomington, I've been hired to do a corporate gig. This was like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I hate doing corporate gigs because I have to edit so much right. of uh, my set. And it was for a really conservative group of people because it was just outside right. of, of Bloomington. Right. And you ever open really strong and then you can yes, follow yourself. Yes, yes, yes. So they, before I got on stage. I mean, not anymore. <laughs> before I got on stage, there were there was a slideshow of people's pictures who were getting awards for right. this, this company. And to start off, I asked them to put the slides back up. And then I just made fun right. of each person and what I imagined their right. lives were like. And, of course, they They, they loved, loved it because they were the, you know, center of attention. Yeah. And then I went into my act. And just struggled for 35 minutes. Yeah, you could have closed with that. Oh. You should have closed with it. And then I went and did a set at... uh, Comedy Addict? Comedy Addict. And and killed. And I didn't even necessarily kill. I did well, but I was able to do material I wanted to do. And it felt like I was in a jacuzzi. It was just so comforting, and it was so... um, It was... That that reason that we started out to to do stand-up is to... to feel heard and seen right. and felt. And, and have a voice. And have a voice. And just be like, you know what? You're not telling me who I am. I'm telling you who I am. So that's really interesting that you... Uh, now, see, now I, w- I would want to go back and, you know, do my fucking material first and then go do the slideshow. I hate when that happens. I would not want to go back on that route. Because it was all, all about the them. It's yeah. all about them. So, and and people don't realize that when you're a comic and you go to them, 
it always sucks. The the cards are stacked against you. Mm. When they come to you, mm. then you have the power. Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate them. I want to kill them. Um all right. So you're Richard Martin character. Yes. Where you're a right wing congressman. Do you really are you really right winging? Oh no. It's it's my picket sign. It's my my protest. And it's really right wing. He's Oh yeah. Although the Republican Party has caught up to the ridiculousness of the character. Oh, because I, originally they were really into it, right? Or they wouldn't wouldn't you get mail and stuff about people would think that the the um character was real right even back then um they would get it after a while but right. some people would still not would not get it um but now it's uh people still get that it's satire but right. in reality the things that the characters say uh, the the uh, politicians say nowadays are every bit as ridiculous as the thing right, that, that almost made this character cartoony. Right. Because I started doing it in 04, and this was before there was a, a Stephen Colbert doing right. his character. So people hadn't really seen um, something like this. Right. So they didn't really know what to make of it, but the people that got it right away— there was something kind of cathartic about it for them because it was like, oh, we can laugh about this. Right, right, right. We don't right. have to be angry, angry 24 hours a day about it. And uh, it, I did it just to, to stay sane. Right. Can you fucking believe what's going on right now? It's I can, but I also can't. It's I mean, it's shocking. It it's shocking. shocking when because you're my age and you grow up and you see all the obstacles and the the things that we fought for being just ter- I mean the fact that that fucking asshole now he wants Hillary Clinton like how does he not get arrested for he's, saying like go shoot Hillary Clinton he's mentally ill and the other thing is people's people that like him it's not a logical thing it's right. an emotional thing right i, I truly think people that love and believe Fox News. I, I tweeted this. Right. When people say I love Fox News, I hear I've never been to therapy. Oh, it's an, I know. It's an emotional. It's an emotional right. thing. And they lie. Like, I, this is what I don't get. Here's, they they fucking lie. Wait, you can go. You better, here's what yeah. they go to their website. Mm-hmm. And here's how they get. Here's how they get away with their lies is they'll put something and then I'll put a question mark after it. But to the person who loves Fox News, they don't believe there's any question. Mark. Right, right. They just go, oh, well, they wouldn't have that bit of information if it wasn't, wasn't true. true. It just hasn't been proved yet. Um, and also they take little snippets yes. of what they say. Like when she said, when Hillary said that thing about, uh, you know, what can we do about it now? They took that completely about Benghazi. They took it completely out of context. I mean, the woman is so qualified, overqualified for this fucking job. And people are like, well, she wants it too much. Don't you want someone who wants the job? Like, what the fuck is the matter with you? I want somebody who wants the job for the right reasons. Right. I want somebody who wants the job not because they want to be able to say, 
I was president, but because they see where the the country needs change. And I think there's a part of her that wants that. But I also think there's a part of her that is way too willing to compromise and allow uh, corporations to run our uh, our country. And that's where the biggest change. Right. I mean, she says that she wants to overturn Citizens United. They have to overturn. That's what's ruined our country. Do you see what's happened since that passed? And Donald and, Trump is a fucking is our nominee. And the other thing that really needs a glass steagle needs to be reinstated because yeah. that opened the door for so much uh, abuse on, on Wall Street. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. But. All right. So when. So you're doing. So the character is the only way right. I really perform anymore other than. So doing, you don't do stand up. No. About five years ago, I just realized I don't like being in comedy clubs doing straight stand up. It's hard when you get older. It is. Because you look and they're like 20 and you're like, no. And for me, more than anything, it's uh, the older I get, the the more I I like being vulnerable and talking about what's really important to me. And for me, the biggest thing was a comedy club isn't a safe place to talk about that anymore. There are some comics who can be vulnerable on stage. Richard Pryor, Louis Anderson. I've never had the guts to be really vulnerable on stage. And I found when I started doing the podcast that, oh, this is. Yeah, it's a great medium. the safest medium. I said the word medium. (laughs) Uh, When you, when they told you that. It also helped that nobody was interested in seeing me do regular stuff. Right. When they canceled dinner and a movie. Mm -hmm. Now you suffer from clinical depression, Mm -hmm. as do I. Treatment resistant clinical depression. Oh, that's good because I maybe I have treatment resistant because it took well, it took me years to get out of my my own. I only had one huge bout with it and it was hell, but I had to go to the therapy was what the cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. You don't like tools. I know. I love tools. Oh, I thought. Oh, I read an interview and the interview didn't like interviewer didn't like tools. Yeah, no, I'm I I, I'm I a, asked for tools in I'm my live today because yeah, of tools. That's what I, I go in. I'm like, can you just tell me? Well, what's the tool to fix? You know, OK, so when they cancel, like, did you like 16 years on a show? There was a, were you freaked out when they canceled it? Oddly, I I wasn't. You know, I got sober in 2003. The show got canceled in 2011. So I had eight that? years, eight years under my belt of learning the most important tool, which is to not obsess about things you have no control. Right. Over. Yes. And and to also trust that there is some path for me if I live my life honestly and um, just make the right spiritual decision. Right. That something is going to work out that's that's meant to be. And I found that to be the case because I started doing the podcast in, right. in 2011, not anticipating that the show was going to be canceled just because I thought somebody needs to talk about mental health in a way right. that's sometimes funny, sometimes right. really raw and dark. And it just kind of took off. And so when the show went away, I was like, oh, good. Now I get to do the podcast full time. You're honestly, so lucky. I was I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the money, but I was so relieved to not be holding up a craft product and talking about how nutritious it right, is. Right, right. That part made me really sick. And, right. and there was probably the last 
seven years of the show, they had just kept cutting the amount of time that we could be creative and put more and more advertising in it. Right. And so it was just it was a shell of its former right. former self. So I was actually relieved when I am sure there was a little small part of me that was like, ooh, right. what's going to happen? But then I just go, OK, you can't control it. Just try to bring the best attitude and energy that, that you can. And it's so far it's worked out. I mean, I make way less money now than right. I used to. But money kind of stopped being something that, that drove me uh, years ago. And uh, I just love doing the podcast. It feels like everything I've gone through in my life has led me to be able to do this thing that brings me so much I love meaning it. and purpose. I love it. Yeah. It's such a great podcast. Thank you. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Ms. Judy Gold. Um... Do you have a lot of friends? I do, mostly because it's, I'm in so many support groups. Right. Or I should say I go to so many support group right. meetings. And those are the people that I found that are uh, that I connect to because right. we get vulnerable. We laugh about our fucked up shit. Um, and we're honest with each other. I mean, within the first 10 there's no small talk. There's no how's the weather. Has It's just, uh, God, I feel like killing myself. Today. Oh, I know. Right I, I do day. that. Yeah. I say that all the time. And yeah. then. That's why it's called Kill Me Now, my yeah. podcast, because I'm always like, Kill Me Now, Kill Me Now. Um, there are a lot of guy comics um, who, as you know, don't, they don't talk about feelings. There's no feeling whatsoever. Do you, do you, I mean, it's like this taboo thing. Like, I find it really interesting that you're so in touch with all this shit um do, are you are most of you so you say most of your friends are in that category yes yes is it hard for you to, to relate to like like i this is all right i remember when i was depressed right mm -hmm. and i would when i was really deep into it first i couldn't leave the house but then if i had to go out and i'd be looking at everyone like you you don't know you don't you don't understand you don't know like you're just you know like it was so weird you know it was such a disconnect from the real world of looking I, at everybody like they got to figure it out and right yes yes I would always hear not literally but I would always feel that sixty minutes oh yeah like you are you here's the three thoughts I would think every morning when I woke up you slept too late you're a lazy piece of shit your life is passing you by right like I have diurnal depression do you know what that is no I know something about depression that you don't know yeah <laughs> yes what do I win guys what do I win nothing all right so so William I've said this you know why I keep saying I've said this because if I ever repeat any there's one person who wrote to me one one person out of everyone who's written to me after my podcast who said, you know, when, when you repeat a story, it's like we've already heard it. It's like one person. And now every time I say something that I think I said before, I think that I fucking. Do I do the same right. thing. Yes. So. Um, uh, what, what, what's the depression? Diet, so William Stryan had no, nocturnal. So his 
he at night he couldn't function at all. And I had diurnal. So during the day, I could not function. And then I had a teeny respite, like only a little bit, not even a lot, but at, when the sun goes down. And I realized that I've always felt like that since I'm a little kid, that the daytime is fraught with mm-hmm. anxiety yes. and and the Re- night— And responsibility. And responsibility and executive function. I have no executive function. But, of course, I don't find this out until I'm an adult— um, and that I'm not bad. It's I'm not a bad person because I have piles, you know, and I'm not a bad person because I, you know, I didn't clean out my closets for the, the you know, or I, I mean, I have this stupid dresser in my son's room that I got because Henry, my older one was like, you don't even like he could really dig me. Mm-hmm. So he, it, this was years ago. He's like, and you don't even have it because the dresser broke and you don't even buy and I was like, oh, my God, I'm the worst mother because I didn't buy a dresser. I didn't buy the dresser. You're so horrible. You're so horrible. So then I buy this dresser. And I at one point, and it's like, you know, one of those custom made with the gothic furniture, whatever. And, you know, because you're a woodworker. So I was like, I wanted to, I said, oh, Ben, the little one, you know, we'll stain it together. That was years ago. And we've never stained it. And I swear to God. If I were to think about it, I'd get a, I'd want to throw up. My house and backyard is a crime scene of unfinished projects. Uh-huh. And you don't feel guilty. I decided to accept myself, at least that part of myself, right. uh, a couple of years ago, and it's the greatest decision I ever made. I wish it was different, but I don't obsess Wishing that it was different. right. That's my thing. Like the, the one of the biggest lies we can tell ourselves is that we can beat ourselves up into being different. Right. No, it's the exact opposite. At least my experience is right. Is having compassion for myself actually brings me more peace, and then I can be in a better space to potentially do right. that thing. I haven't with the unfinished projects, but other things in my life. Right. Uh, it is. It is the worst lie that that we tell ourselves, and a lot of times. That voice is somebody else's voice. Right. Oh, it always is, I think. It always is. A parent or society's messages or whatever. Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Um, You know, I know I've said this before. Here we go. But I I couldn't walk by a schoolyard until I was in my 30s. So if I was like walking down, you know, Amsterdam Avenue and... I would I would like cross the street or I put on headphones or you know what I mean? It was awful. And it took me till I mean till my late thirties to realize if someone was laughing behind like walking down the street and laughing and it wasn't at me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I've still had some like once in a blue moon. You know, like if I'm on my bike and there's some kid walking in the street and I'm like, excuse me, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, like say something like that. And it it still hurts beyond. Yeah. Like I want to cry. You know what I mean? So and it's so interesting because I look at my son who my younger son who's six five and has 16 shoe and plays basketball and is funny and quirky and the most popular kid school. And I was. The most unpopular, you know, because I was big and it's just it's a lot it's easier for a boy to be big. Oh, though. you're not kidding. Um, 
there was one thing and then you know we could do you want to interview me like do you want to go back and forth i want to do i want to do them separately though okay you once said that knowing like because i have these horrible feelings right and this is something i totally relate with you is that you once said that knowing these feelings are temporary is what gets you through yes Especially with depression. Right. So, like, I'll wake up. Now I've gotten to the point where I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, boy, it's going to be a bad day. And sometimes I call my girlfriend and at work and I'm like, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. And then, I like, I just want to cry. And, uh, and then, you know, the sun goes down and I'm like, oh, okay, I made it. Woo, you know. But... I, I like like I was saying before, it's like I look at people who I think are emotionally healthy and I'm like, what is that? feel Like, it's it's so weird. I'm like, I, I all right. These are two examples. Well, first of all, when I was pregnant, I had euphoria instead of depression. Mm-hmm. And it was the only time and I had no I was not on any meds because I was mm-hmm. pregnant. It was the only time in my life I ever felt and witnessed like. Oh, this is what normal people feel like. This is like. why people smile. Yeah. This is... And it was amazing. And I was like, oh my God, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I have a purpose in life, you know? I'm, and it was unbelievable. But it was fucking temporary. Um, but I had a friend who used to get up, like I'd st- <laughs> all right, I'd stay at my friend Bob's house, and he had this boyfriend who would get up and he didn't he went to college, you know, he had a degree, but he'd just like get up and he'd look through magazines and he worked as a waiter and went to the gym and like he'd get up in the morning and he'd have his coffee and just looking at a catalog and watching TV. And I'm like, like, don't, don't you feel like you need to be doing something? Pro-? Like I would stare at him going mm-hmm. like, how, like, is, how do you fucking do ca- that? What's the catch? Yeah. yeah. Like what? <laughs> Like, are you, and you're not, you don't want to kill your, like, I can't believe people like that don't want to kill themselves. And then I have, do you have the, do you have the, um, purse? I have a couple of people where I think if I end up like them, I will, like, I just have to, someone has to shoot me. Much, much less today because... One of the things, the work that I've done in support groups is really closely looking at um, things I've done in the past, how I viewed myself, how I've treated others, how I've treated myself, and seeing um, my flaws, not in an obsessive beat myself up way, but in a reflective, oh, I see a pattern here. Like the biggest pattern I uncovered was that my biggest fear in life is that my life will be forgettable. And I saw how often coming from a place of fear that that would be the case caused me to step on other people's toes, to treat myself badly. Having compassion for myself, seeing, okay, you were just a kid that wasn't seen and you're afraid that's going to be repeated throughout your life. I had compassion for myself and then I was able to have compassion for other people because I didn't see them as threats to that becoming true. Right, that right, life right. would be forgettable. And so it it has allowed me to... Um, just not care as as much I love in, that. A, in a good way. I don't but care it's either. A lot of work. It ta- me too. But I feel like I'm at this age where, like, you know what? I have no fear now. I mm-hmm. lived in fear always, 
to the point where I remember my head would get. Do you ever get the flow rush of of uh, blood to your head because oh, yeah. you're so your, fucking scared? Your face gets hot. Yeah. Your your scalp tingles. Yeah. And so I feel like now I've been through so much shit that you can't do it. Like I'm Teflon. Yeah. You cannot fucking. That's my parents nice. are dead. You know, I. Um, you don't care that you killed them. Well, they deserved it, and it's like. But just because they gave you a sideways glance, I thought was. Um, it was. It impulsive was impulsive. No, it was the. It was, a, it was premeditated. Um, that's it for this episode. <laughs> Do you have any siblings? I have one brother. Uh, we had a cousin who was raised uh, with us, who uh-huh. was 13 years older than me, who was like a brother. Right. Um, but that's it. And are you are you close with your brother? We're we're um, really kind of different people, yeah. but uh, yeah, we love each other. And uh, but we're not. We don't have like really emotional talks. Right. Like right. I right. Do with with uh, your real people in my support groups. And so like that. But what what does he do? He's a lawyer. Oh, so yeah. he doesn't have to be emotional. He can just figure out the facts and attack that way. Right. What kind of lawyer is he? Uh, he works for a nonprofit, but he's oh, he's, that's he, good. Uh, yeah, he's worked for uh, different firms before. And are your parents alive? Uh, mom is, dad's not. Oh, and I loved your Father's Day poem. Oh my God, you do research. That is so uh, impressive. It is. Yeah. I'm just a nerd. I'm a nerd. Well, it's very, it's very flattering as oh, a guest please. to uh, know that somebody took that much care. Uh, when I interview you, it will be just the opposite. You will have to remind me of your last name. That's great. Um, oh, I'm not available for that. I just remembered. <laughs> uh, so was it hard when your father died? I Actually, the worst part was I felt bad that I didn't feel more. My right. dad was a really hard guy to get to know. He was a, he was an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. He got sober for a little while. In 93. He, yes. Yeah. In fact, we yeah. checked him in on Christmas Eve. Yes. I, I, I read that. Yeah. yeah. That's why you love the holidays. That's why I love. That's how the Christmas poem right. came out of it. Um, it. My dad was an easy guy to be around because he gave you your space, but he also really wasn't that interested he was trapped in his head he had a really awful alcoholic father my dad was also an alcoholic though very high functioning right and he's he was just trapped in his head and i know he loved me as best he could um but i felt really sad that i didn't feel right 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 don't you look at people now like who you know right who have kids and you see the same pattern. Like, don't you want to go save that I do. child and punch do. the person in the face? It's hard. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I love doing the podcast is mm-hmm. because sometimes I'll get uh, emails from kids. Yeah. And I'm able to um, express that perspective that an older person who's been through it and come out the other right. side can have. And then the kid will hear it and feel validated. That right. Somebody. I get a lot from the gay understands. kids. Yeah. Yeah. They need, um, they need so much support. I know. It's, just, it's brutal. It's like no one asked to be born. Yeah. So um, we ask everyone these. I have to ask you two questions. One, which I know the answer. One, one is what pisses you off the most? It can be anything that like makes your blood boil. John Hannity. Really? Yeah. 
There, I, I think because he reminds me of the guys I went to grade school right. who have never changed and go to church but are biggest asshole fucking mean spirit in their world right i'm sure he's a great neighbor you know what i mean i'm sure he's a guy who would pull over and help you change your tire right but they don't see the repercussions of they're destructive denying uh, climate change um being opposed to maybe he's not opposed to gay marriage but it's there's a world even if he says he is you know he's not it's like how is Rick Santorum opposed to get? I mean, he's forty, whatever. Like these people, Marco Rubio. You know, they're not really opposed to it. It's so fucking annoying. Now you yeah. got me. Yeah. So that that, that uh, so what if Sean Hannity showed up, like came in here right now? What would you say? You know what? I would probably be nice to him. One of the things I've I've learned in the last fifteen years is how. To express myself diplomatically. Right. Now, if I have a hockey stick in my hand. Right. It might be a little different. Right. But. Um, like, do you think you're physically violent? Uh, when I play hockey, I, right. can, I can get to that place. But, but you know, I get I do get in hockey fights sometimes, right. but much, much less than I used to. And right. I usually apologize afterwards. Wow. Um, my son loves hockey. My older son. It's the most beautiful sport. I can't see the puck. Uh, even on high def, you haven't. Well, no. When we go to a game, really? Yeah, and we're looking there, and I'm like, "Where's uh, you know, like it, it's in." And I'm like, "I didn't even fucking see it. It's so fucking fast." And why do they beat the shit out of each other? That's the thing. It's actually very complicated. Why they? Why they? Yeah, I want to know why that is a part of the sport. Very rarely is a fight because two guys are really mad at each other mm-hmm. it's how they police the game there's two types of players there's um a role player mm-hmm. and then there's uh guys who are considered uh talent right. players skilled players right. is what they call them and the skilled there's an unwritten rule that the skilled players are not to be fucked with physically right because every team needs their skilled players right. to be healthy so if you hit the other team's skilled player really hard, you're going to – somebody is going to fight you. Mm-hmm. So the person that is fighting you is a role player. Is a role player. From- and most of those guys dread being an enforcer. There's much less now than there so used to So what do you mean hit? Like, like check, knock off their feet. Um, uh, but that's part of the game. It's not as much as it used to be. It's a much less physical game than it used to be. A lot of it is because of uh, awareness about concussions. Right. Uh, so Bobby Orr was not a role. He was a skilled. Oh, the greatest defenseman right. that ever played ever. the game. He changed the game. He changed the way. Did he get beat up? He did, but he also was not somebody that wanted to be protected, and that's why he didn't have a long career. Because Did he beat anyone up? Uh, he got in fights. Uh, he was, he was a, f- a physical presence, but he didn't have to fight. Because I just think it's so fucking weird that they fight. Here's a stat about Bobby Orr. There's a thing called plus minus. If Mm -hmm. you're on the ice and your team scores a goal, your stat, you get plus one. Mm -hmm. If you're on the ice and your team gets scored against, you're minus one. So at the end of the game, you'll finish, you know, maybe plus one, minus two. At the end of the season, the best players, the stars will finish the season, maybe plus 25, Mm -hmm. maybe Plus 35. Wow. Bobby Orr finished one season 
plus 124. No way. Plus 124. And he led in scoring. A defenseman has never, wow. had never led in scoring. Wow. He was, and the, probably the greatest skater that the game has ever seen. I mean, he was. I hate he ice was skating. I hate ice skating. Um, now, I know the answer. Well, we always ask, uh, you know, if our guests are on any mental health meds. Mm-hmm. Oh, how long you got? So, and a lot of them are like, no. And I'm like, mm. so you yes. are on meds. Oh, yeah. I, they saved my life. I started in, in 2000. Okay. So what, what are you on? It's a little embarrassing, and I need to wean off a couple of them. I just weaned. Did you? Off I, what? Uh, I weaned off a of Ritalin, mm-hmm. and I'm only taking half my Trazodone dose. I, for the longest time, was on Wellbutrin. Celexa. I'm on Well. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Wellbutrin, Celexa, and Buspar. Oh, and, Buspar, I was on that. And not Celexa, yeah. And then my uh, shrink added uh, Lamictal, which helped. Oh, yes, Lamictal. I was on that. And then I felt myself starting just not being depressed, but just being blah. Right. And feeling like I can't wait to go back to bed. Right. And he had suggested, um, uh, you just mentioned Ritalin. What's what's the other one? Um, I can't believe it. Concerta? Concerta? No. um, Adderall. Adderall. Yeah. And, you know, being a recovering... uh, Right. Addict, alcoholic, I said no. No. And then I met somebody who uh, was also sober, been sober a long time, and she said, you should consider it because I started taking it, and it's helpful with treatment-resistant depression, and it doesn't feel addicting to me, and you should consider giving it a shot. And I thought, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And it has been a game changer. My bed no longer feels like a magnet that is constantly pulling me back. And the Adderall? The Adderall was the game do you get? Um, do you get heart palpitations? Uh, I did maybe like mm-hmm. the first three weeks, and those, right. have, those have gone away as I've acclimated to mm. it. Uh, mm. But it is, uh, I thought I... My was, son buys them. You know, they buy them on campus. Yes. It's, uh, that was my fear is that, oh, well, people abuse it. I'm right. going to want to abuse it. But I'm not even on the highest dose that I right. could be. So, um, and I don't crave... Uh, doing anymore so nothing for sleeping do you, what do you take at night and what do you take in the morning I just fall asleep all. oh uh, i don't take any meds at night in the morning i take you know all, all of them all my meds and then midday i take another another adderall but it it's you're so lucky you could sleep yes i really am. that's a good that i sleep mean has never been a problem but the problem for me was always getting up right i would just oh i hit my snooze alarm so many times Ugh. Oh, you can't even. Uh, I mean, you can. Um, but I, the the hope is to then now wean myself off um, a couple of the other ones. That's our, right. our game plan with uh, with my shrink. But he wanted me to get acclimated to this one first, and then that's awesome. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I'm really grateful for the psychiatrist because he refused to continue to see me until I stopped drinking. And I don't know if I would have done it if he really yeah, that really woke me up. Really how what, how often did you drink? Every every night. But I thought because I didn't drink during the day, and a lot of times I'd only have three drinks, that um, that didn't mean that I was right. You know that that I had a problem. But wow. I, could, I couldn't I couldn't stop, and I didn't. I 
forgot or I guess didn't want to look at the fact that alcoholism is a progressive right. illness and mine had progressed because I had quit once for 13 right. months. I thought, well, I can quit. Oh, yeah, I, I can to. quit. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, thank you. Paul, for being a guest. So where can people find... So your podcast? The Mental Illness Happy Hour, and they can uh, go to the website, which is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle you can follow me at. Um, or just uh, search for it and podcasts on, on iTunes. And uh, there's a, every episode is available. I think there's 280... Wow, and I haven't been something. on it, and I'm so mental. You are going to be on it in about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, baby! Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Henny, Hennessy, Henny, fuck. We'll be back very soon. Um, I've had to travel because I have such an incredible career. <laughs> and um, thank you all for listening. Uh, and so long! <laughs> Everything was wonderful. I'll see you 